Today's scripture is John one verses one to fourteen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of, as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come now. And we ask that you would speak to us by your word, through your spirit. Father, we need help to understand the wonders that are contained within your word. God, we need your help to be changed by them. And so, God, we just come humbly before you asking for that help this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we are um, going to begin what has been known as Advent. And Advent is this four-week uh, season, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve. It's been historically celebrated by the church. And the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. It means coming, coming. And so what we want to do is we want to, just as the readers of the Old Testament heard the promises of God and waited and sat and looked toward the coming of the one who would make all things right, we, we want to sit with them and, and look forward to celebrating the coming of Jesus on, on Christmas. Now, I... um. Here, here's, here's me being honest with you. Uh, this uh, Christmas, for whatever reason, I just, I just haven't felt it. Um, I just haven't felt like being in the, the Christmas spirit. I was, I was telling a friend this, and, and he, you know, he's trying to help me. He's always asking me all these questions. He's like, well, uh, you don't feel like Christmas? Like, have you put up your Christmas tree yet? And you know, I, I put up my Christmas tree on November 11th. It's been almost a month, so did that. Uh, are, your, are your lights up? Yes. Did, did you hang a wreath? Uh, yes. Do you have a bowl of mandarin oranges on your counter? Uh, yes. Is your nativity scene up? Y yes. Uh, did you listen to Mariah Carey? Of course. And, and, and what about Buble? And I was like, that's it. I haven't listened to Michael Buble yet. That's... That would solve all my Christmas problems. Um, but I don't, I, look, the reality is, is I've been busy with all the Christmas things, and, and yet it still hasn't, I haven't 
been excited about it. There's just been this apathy and, and indifference towards this season. And so I'm actually very excited and grateful to sit, to wait, to look toward the coming. Because despite doing all those things, all that activity has served as rather a, uh, a distraction rather than a helpful guide. And so I want to look this morning and over the next few weeks at the Christmas story that we find specifically in John. I want to ask John, this gospel, to orient our hearts to to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, you may have read that, um, the scripture, or heard the scripture this morning and go, I don't, I don't hear any Christmas there. That doesn't sound like the Christmas story we've come to love and know, and, and rightly so. There's no angels, there's no manger, no Mary, no Joseph, no Bethlehem, no wise men, no shepherd, and no sheep. So what do you mean Christmas story? Well, you see, John was probably uh, the last gospel that was written. John, the one of the apostles who, who wrote this gospel, probably wrote his gospel account about um, 80 years, give or take a few years, after the birth of Jesus. And so he's had all this time to think about it, and he's also read the other accounts. And so he goes, instead of telling you just another perspective of what happened, John says, let me tell you what it actually means. Let me tell you the significance of Christmas. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at the significance, the the meaning of Christmas under two headings, darkness and light. Darkness and light. First, darkness. Look look at verses 1 to 5 again. If you have your Bibles open, you can follow along. John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. To read these opening words in this book is to remind ourselves of another beginning. The beginning in the Bible, the beginning in Genesis and and of time, the, the beginning of all beginnings. So we read this in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We hear here that in the beginning of time, God creates matter. He he creates the world, but the world, we read, is formless and void. The world is in a state of darkness. And that is not right. That was not God's intention. That's not the way it was supposed to be. And so what does God do? He speaks. He speaks. 
He speaks into the darkness and says, let there be light. And now John goes, it happened again. It happened the first Christmas. God again entered into the world through his word. He says again in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God did not just only speak his word into the world. He entered the world by the word himself. The word became flesh. This is Jesus. And the word brought life and light. One author, he puts it this way. He says, the word challenged the darkness before creation and now challenges the darkness that is found, tragically, within creation itself. And the reason he entered is because our world is again in a state of darkness. This is not God's intention. This is not the way things are supposed to be. The, the, the message of Christmas, although it rightly contains hope and joy and cheer, the message of Christmas is first that our world is broken and there remains deep areas of darkness. And so I don't know how you come this morning. Maybe you feel that brokenness, that, that darkness. You need to hear God saying it's not okay. God's not just going all, oh, it's just whatever. Deal with it. That's the... That's what you're left with. No, he goes, that's, that's not okay. And I've come to deal with the darkness. Now, we'll, we'll get to light in a second. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to light in a second, but, but just, just sit with me in the darkness for a minute. Um, when, when John speaks about darkness, what, what does he mean? What does John mean when he says the word darkness? He says, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you were to ask me today what my favorite book of the Bible is, I probably would tell you it's the Gospel of John. Now, it was not always that way. You see, um, John's Gospel is quite simple in many ways. The, the language is basic. The vocabulary it is plain and repetitive. The, the stories are relatively straightforward. And I, I didn't want to be no simpleton. I was like, I'm smart and I understand deep and complex things. And so my favorite book of the Bible is Romans, where you get all these arguments and you have, you know, premises and conclusions and you got to do all this sentence diagramming to understand. I was like, that, that's my favorite book of the Bible. Except what I came to realize over time is that um, what makes the Gospel of John so incredible is that it's shallow and simple enough for a child to wade in it, but it's also deep and complex enough for an elephant to swim in it. It's simple and complex at the very same time. And the way John works is he uses simple language and vocabulary, but then through the various stories that he tells, you realize he maybe means more than you originally thought. And so you read John one time and you think darkness means this. 
You read John a second time and you go, oh, hold on. Maybe John means this. And then you read it a third time and you realize, oh, maybe John means both. That word um, in in verse 5, overcome, that word overcome is a word that, again, can have two types of meanings. One author says this verse is a masterpiece of planned ambiguity. A masterpiece of planned ambiguity. That word overcome can just mean overcome, like to, to conquer, to master. Or it can also mean comprehend and understand. So the darkness did not overcome it, or the darkness did not understand it. Again, John probably means both. Uh, Darkness, according to John, first off, is moral evil. It's moral evil. Darkness is the antithesis of what is good. It seeks to fight the light and subdue it. So we read this in John 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Darkness is evil. On that first Christmas, the world was full of evil. It was full of abusive powers taking advantage of the lowly and weak. It was a world full of violence, a place where families were separated and refugees fled for the safety of their lives. It was a world of homelessness and poverty. It was a world riddled with pain and grief. And that's just what Jesus experienced in his first couple years. All of that happened to Jesus. It was a world very much like today. It was a dark world. But darkness, according to John, is also ignorance. Ignorance. So we read this in John 12. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. There's ignorance. See, the problem isn't just that there is evil in the world. The the problem is, is I don't know how to navigate through the evil in the world. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't tried. (laughs) Our society has said, you know what, if we could just get people educated enough, we could just distribute knowledge, then violence and oppression would stop. We've thought, you know, if we could just have the right government, we get that right person in that right position with the right beliefs, the right structures in place, then everyone would get along. (laughs) Some have proposed a flourishing economy. Right? If the markets are on the rise, jobs on the rise, then finally people will be cared for. Except if you look back at our previous century, the 20th century, we've been the most educated we've ever been, we're the wealthiest we've ever been, and there's been the greatest diversity in political experiments that there's ever been. And still, it was the bloodiest and most pain-ridden century there's ever been. The story of Christmas begins by affirming what we know deep down inside of us. 
that this world really is dark. That things are actually as bad as they appear. And yet no matter how hard we try, the solution is not found within ourselves. And yet, and yet, into this darkness comes a light. Second point, light. Verse 9 says this. You can read it with me. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In contrast to the darkness, we learn three things about this light. Three things. Here we go. First thing about you need to know about this light is the light saves. The light saves. Look, look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light brings life, and it saves. John's readers, many of them would have grown up reading the Old Testament. And what they would have been familiar with is stories of God rescuing his people through the use of light. Through the use of light. Let me give, let me give you just a few examples. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham falls into a deep sleep and the Bible calls it a dreadful and great darkness. It's this dark night of the soul. Abraham is deeply anxious and concerned and overwhelmed of what the future holds for him. And yet into that darkness, God appears as a smoking firepot and a flaming torch as light. And he makes him a promise. And he says, I will keep my promise to you. Everything will be okay. In Exodus 13, uh, God's people, Israel, is running out of Egypt, and Pharaoh decides to change his mind. He goes, you know what? I am not happy with those Israelites going off to worship their God. I want them back here, and so he is either going to chase them down and re-enslave them, or he's going to kill them. And so Israel is standing at the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army is coming behind him, and what does God do? He shows up as a pillar of fire. This cloud of fire comes and stands behind Israel so that they're safe. He protects them against the armies of Egypt and he lights up the night sky so that they might navigate their way through trouble and difficulty. In Joshua 10, God's people are fighting a war against their enemies and the daylight is waning. And so what does God do? God makes the sun stand still so that Israel can defeat their enemies and oppressors by daylight. And more and more and more instances of God saving through light. Light and salvation go hand in hand. And so John's telling his readers, the lights come again. And within them is supposed to be this excitement, this joy. Okay, it's, it's going down. Everything is going to work out okay. And John says, this is, this is not just any light. This is, verse 9, the true light. This is not some derivative light. This is the source of light. The light which gives light to every other light. This is the light that shines so bright, everyone can get on the salvation. 
One of the things John tells us about this light is that it's no match for the darkness. Verse 5, the darkness has not overcome it. It's no match for the darkness. Think about this uh, picture with me for a moment. Andrew Wilson, uh, an author, gives this helpful picture. He says, let's say you were to dig a, a mile down into the ground. And down into the ground, you build a windowless bunker. And within that windowless bunker, you, you encase the whole bunker in two-foot-wide cement. And in the middle of that bunker, you build another room. And in that room, you build a cupboard. And in that cupboard, you place a safe. And in that safe, you place a box. And in that box, you place a glowworm. Do you know what that glowworm's going to do? It's going to shine. It's going to shine. All your efforts to bury that glowworm into the deepest, darkest place in the world cannot overcome the darkness. Cannot overcome the light. The light shines. The light is no match for the darkness. Sometimes in our mind, we have this idea that there is this battle going on between good and evil, and we just have this hope, right? This nervous hope that, okay, maybe, maybe in the end, good will win. That there's, there's, there's this tug of war, war happening. We just, we just hope with all our hope that light will prevail. John says, no, no, no. The end result is guaranteed. There is nothing the darkness can do to overcome the light. Look, the darkness tried. The darkness tried to kill Jesus in the manger. It tried to get Jesus to sin in the wilderness. It tried to get Jesus to abandon God's call in the garden. And in the end, it even looked like darkness had won because Jesus died. But the reality is that light won. The light shone from the manger. The light shone in Jesus' perfect obedience. The light shone in Jesus' willingness to suffer on our behalf. And the light shone from the empty grave. So I don't know how dark it is in your world right now. I don't know how much you feel it. I don't know how, how hard the way forward looks. I don't know if this is an evil done to you or done by you, done before or done maybe even this week. The message of Christmas is that, yes, there is a darkness in this world, but the light wins, and that there is no darkness dark enough that the light cannot overcome in your light. Jesus has come as light to overcome the darkness. The light saves. Secondly, we'll do these two a little bit more quicker. The light compels. The light compels. Um, I think if you've grown up in church, believing that God has the ability to save you is actually not our greatest fear. I think our greatest fear is that Jesus wants to save us. I, I think that's the thing we actually struggle with. 
I think when we think of God, our general perspective with him is that he must be disappointed with us. I mean, how could you? Right? After all, all you've done, God says, we think. Man, after all that I did for you, after all the ways that I showed you my love, and yet you still fall into sin. And you, you, you didn't just do it one time. I know you. I see all of your darkness, the Lord says. You did it again and again and again, and you said you would never do it again, and yet you did it again and again and again. And I think our fear is that, man, God must be done with us. He must turn his back on us. There's there's no way he could still love us and want to save us. And if not for Christmas, I think that belief we would have makes total sense. You know why? Because I wouldn't want to save me. (laughs) I'm done with me. And I'm frustrated with all my brokenness and sin. But Christmas has a totally different story. Christmas says that God actually delights in us and that he loves to save us. He's not just bound to save us. He he loves to save us. Verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God says, that's how much I love you. Man, that I would become a man. That God would become a man. Man, that, if we could actually believe that, man, that would totally change our lives. Man, but that's the extent to which I'm running after you. And he didn't just become a man. He didn't just decide to be born in a feeding trough. He said, no, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to die on your behalf. Verse 14 says, we have seen his glory, glory full of grace and truth. Where is grace and truth come together most profoundly? It's in the cross. In the cross, Jesus says, yes, man, sin really is that bad. Sin is so bad. Sin cannot be swept under the rug. I have to deal with sin. And the only way sin can be dealt with, this is how bad it is, is God had to become a man to deal with it. There is great truth in the wickedness of sin. And yet at the cross, there is also grace. Because Jesus says, okay, yes, sin is evil and needs to be dealt with, but I will deal with it. I will pay your sin. I will pay the debt. I will die on your behalf so that you don't have to. So that instead of judgment, you get grace and mercy and forgiveness. Grace and truth. That's how much I love you. Hear hear, hear this quote from Augustine. He's an early church father. He's writing about Jesus becoming a man. He says this. Now, this is long. You You need to hear this. The maker of man became man, that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at his mother's breast, that he, the bread, might hunger, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge, of the living and the dead might be brought to trial by a mortal judge. That he, justice, 
might be condemned by the unjust, that he, discipline, might be scourged with whips, that he, the fountain, might be suspended upon a cross, that courage might be weakened, that healer might be wounded, that life might die. To endure these and similar indignities for us, to free us, unworthy creatures, he who existed as the Son of God before all ages, without a beginning, deigned to become the Son of Man in these recent years. He did this, although he who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil, and although we, who were the recipients of so much good at his hands, had done nothing to merit these benefits. For God to become a man is for him to say, I care. And I'm not just okay with trying to help you from a distance. Hey, come on. Let me give you a whole bunch of advice. This is is the way forward. This is how you deal with evil in the world. God goes, no, no. I'm actually going to enter into the evil and experience it firsthand. The one thing... Christmas does not let us say is that God does not care about our suffering because he was willing to suffer for our sake. And then when we believe that, right, if we, if we actually grasp that again, that God suffered for us, all of a sudden I'm compelled to follow him. Man, that is a beauty above all other beauties. When I see a God who loves me like that, all of a sudden my, all my other darknesses, all my other addictions and depravities that I'm so constantly drawn to pale in comparison to the beauty that is Jesus. And so all of a sudden, these bonds stop, start to break, and I go, I, don't, I no longer want that thing in my life. I want to follow him. I, w- I want to walk in the light. I want to experience the light. I want him to save me. The light doesn't just save us. It compels us. It's powerful, and it's beautiful. Lastly, the light lasts. Light lasts. Look at verse 5 one more time. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It shines. Present tense. Right? So look at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then it says, but the light shines. And it hasn't stopped shining. And so the question is, how how can John say that? Right? John's writing 80 years after the birth of Jesus, 50 years after Jesus left earth and and went back to heaven to be with his father. How how can John say the light shines? Like we're 2,000 years remiss. Does it still shine? The reason John can say that and say that we're not back in darkness is because there are people who bear witness to the light. Look at verses 6 to 8 again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. 
And so now, John says, just as John the Baptist bore witness to the light, the light shines because we bear witness to the light. We still proclaim who Jesus is. We still show the world who Jesus is. The light shines as we live like Jesus, as we love like Jesus, as we sacrificed like Jesus sacrificed. And not just as we live, but as we tell it, as we proclaim his life, death, and resurrection. The Bible elsewhere calls us salt and light. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are light in the world. And you don't put a light under a basket. You put it on a lamp. You put it on a hill and you let all come to see it. Just as Jesus left his heavenly dwelling and entered into the darkness of our world, so he now calls us to enter into those areas that persist in darkness, to shine forth the same light that saved us, that compelled us, and that will one day make all things new. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we feel the darkness. God, not just, um, not just because it's December and the sun goes down very early, but Lord, we, we feel our own weariness. We feel our own sin. We feel the things done to us and the feel things done by us. And so God, we thank you for the message of Christmas that affirms these realities, but Lord, that also gives us great hope. Father, I pray that your light would shine this Christmas brighter than it has shined before. We pray that it would shine here in Surrey and beyond, Lord. Father, we pray that it would shine through us and in us. Would you make us new? Would you change us from the inside out, Lord, and then use us so that we might bear witness to your light and would that light change our world? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.